electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod, one of corporate America's most visible female CEOs, IBM's Ginny Rometty, is stepping down. There's so many people in the CEO community who love her, Jamie Dimon, Tim Cook, I mean, the list goes We love her. Uh, we do. The direct-to-consumer startups joining the billion-dollar brand club. One of the great things about this revolution is that there's much more choice. And what are you drinking this Super Bowl Sunday? I've tried it. Have you tried it? Hard seltzer. I have not. This is the weekend that this producer tries hard seltzer. CEO of Anheuser-Busch, InBev, tells us why you should all try it. Those stories and a lot more. I'm Squawk producer Rob Contino. It's Friday, January 31st. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, fuel please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. In corporate news, IBM says its longtime CEO, Ginny Rometty, is stepping down effective April 6th. Rometty has served in that role since 2012, eight years. Uh, Arvind Krishna has been tapped as her successor. IBM says Rometty will remain executive chairman through the end of the year. The stock rising on the news, though. Here's a look at how IBM shares uh, have performed under Rometty's tenure. Uh, and uh, Eight years, but she will have been there through that time. And right. under the, During that time, we can see right there, it's down by about 23%. It's been a... Uh, a saga. It, it, it has. really has, and yeah. and it involved uh, it involved massive the, turnaround. Uh, people like Warren Buffett, who yeah, probably remember were, when he was in the stock. And I, I've had you know some other people. I, I guess I won't go into who they, but people that all along said, look, the revenue is not is not rising, and it's not good. But I've had other people, and I think Jeff's going to Sonnenfeld is going to come on and make the case that. It was very difficult to position IBM for the future. She was in a difficult spot. Somebody said to me with the cloud. I didn't think about it initially. Someone said, oh, is this a glass, one of these glass cliff situations? And I said, I don't think so. And I'm, glass cliff from? But, you know, they talk about sometimes when women are uh, put in positions of companies. Oh, um, an unfixable position. An unfixable position. Like, what position. would you do with Yahoo? By the way, people thought that of Mary Barra. They wrote articles about Mary Barra being put in this position Barry, GM. Mary Barra's done very well, though. And she has. But what I was going to say is, at the time when she got the job, you would have never known how difficult it was. Yeah. Because her predecessors appeared to be rock stars, and yet they really left her holding the bag. Well, in and and she, the whole time, way. was trying to get rid of what she called the, was it the empty, empty calories? calories. Revenue, the, this, the revenue that was not profitable and that was not going to be This isn't even trying to transition like a Microsoft for right. the future, which was, a, when did that come around, 1980 or, right. or, or something? This is the, the 50s and 60s and Big Blue and John Akers, and it had to be, uh, had to be uh, repositioned a couple of times already. Gerstner, Gerstner had to yeah. come in. Paul Masano had to come in and turn it around. So, I mean, to have IBM to even know what it is anymore, how about digital equipment? Anyone remember digital equipment? How about data general? How about prime computer? Yeah. How about 
um, what was that, Novell. Remember the biggest high flyer in the world was Novell. And they're just totally gone. So, I mean, it's been tough. And there are some people that think with, you know, Whitehurst there and Red Hat, right. maybe it's positioned well for the future. So I don't think we can, we can Whitehurst, say Whitehurst, by the that, way, is going to be the president. Yes, yeah. Whitehurst is going to be there sharing that. And Sonnenfeld said that's not the first time. The journal says that's the first no, time Lamb has done that. it's an interesting issue about how to measure her tenure. Right. By the way, you should, I mean, you probably got the same emails that I did. There's so many people in the CEO community who love her. Jamie yeah. Dimon, Tim Cook. I mean, the list goes we on love and her, on and on. I think. No, we do. The, she's on the J. Yeah, she's on she's no, on the uh, uh, business roundtable board round with, them, with right. Jamie. But, you know, in terms of measuring her, her legacy, you're either going to say she kept the company alive at a time when it was right. a real struggle. Or if you if you have a less generous view, she didn't do what she. But then the question is, what could have she done? It's so the counterfactuals. It's a hard to play out. I mean, it, no. you really have to think you're in a position to take one of these legacy companies that has a mainframe or whatever it was. There's a lot of examples of companies that do something in the old days. They didn't become Facebook. They didn't right. become Google. They didn't become even Microsoft. They didn't. Tra- you know, new companies seem to take that mantle with. You know, guys in the, you know, these Microsoft guys in their garages, they're, Dell, they're, they're in their garage and they figure it all out. And they under suddenly it's even better than the previous thing. And they even have IBM still around and playing in the cloud as a viable competitor. I don't know. I don't I don't know how to, to measure it. President Trump and Mike Bloomberg are two billionaires and former friends who are rolling out a new playbook for Sunday's big game. And it involves spending a lot of money. Robert Frank joins us now. Uh, with more. Hey, Robert. Good morning, Joe. Uh, Donald Trump and Michael Bloomberg both spending $11 million each for one-minute ads in Sunday's game, believed to be the most expensive political ad block of all time, and the first time that two candidates have squared off in the big game. Now, the Trump campaign was the first to buy an ad this fall. Bloomberg's campaign found out about the ad and decided to buy its own spot for around $11 million. Now, for Bloomberg, the cost is a drop in the bucket for his total TV ad spending. He has spent $240 $240 million just so far on TV ads, most of that just in the month of January. And that is more than 14 times what President Trump has spent on television, though Trump, of course, still leads in digital ad spending. Now, at $22 million, those two ad spots cost more than all of Joe Biden's and Elizabeth Warren's TV ads in this election combined and more than Sanders' total of $18 million. Now, Bloomberg, who, of course, has a fortune of around $60 billion, has vowed to spend over a billion to defeat Donald Trump. Trump started the year with over $100 million in his own campaign war chest. Trump's ad, that'll run early in the game and highlights how the country is now, quote, stronger, safer, and more prosperous. The Bloomberg ad, which focuses on gun violence, will be between the halftime show and the third quarter, so... Bloomberg's got to hope that it's a really good game so people still are watching. 11 million, what do you get for that? 30 seconds, a minute? You get a minute 60 right? seconds. 60, 60 seconds, seconds for 11 million. So do you, have you seen both ads now? I have. Which one do you think is more powerful? The Trump ad is a little more generic. Right. The, the Bloomberg ad is very well tailored to football, football because right. the, the character in that ad is a young football player. So I, I, I think, you know, they're, they're both strong. Yeah. And uh, by the way, Trump is actually running. Trump is running two 30 second spots. It turns out one of those spots was shown last night. He's holding back the other until oh. actually. So we don't game, know. So there'll be a surprise. The, the, uh, you saw the lead on Drudge today or, or did you look at that today? I didn't know. Um, <coughs> exclusive from the Bloomberg campaign that that he has spent one hundred million dollars so far, uh, supposedly. 
Mike Bloomberg. Well, it's more not than just. Yeah, he's just he's in the, even more than that in advertising. Right. Overall, but, uh, yeah. Let me see what it, exactly what the. Well, he spent over two hundred million dollars so far on TV ads. Right. This um, this was specific to. Let me just see what the on ads attacking is. Trump in just two months. Oh, I see. see. That's the yeah. so, right. So remember, Bloomberg has two kind of parallel campaigns. One is the anti-Trump campaign, right. and one is the Bloomberg. So this campaign. is a hundred million on ads and attacking Trump. Trump. And look, in just two months. Part of this is simple, sort of financial show of strength. Mm-hmm. It, it's. Does he really expect to get a lot of votes from this? I don't know. This is really to show Donald Trump that he will spend whatever it takes, it even if it's kind of dumb it, Super Bowl money. Recognition too. Or does it create a sense that there's a national election and the national election is against these two individuals? But, I mean, I think he elevates himself to a completely different level if the president, if it's only him and the president on Super Bowl Sunday... You know, absolutely changes the dynamic with in terms of how psychologically people think about. But the, he's the the headlines are he's moving into third place. But I look at it, it's like there's you know Biden, Sanders, and then down in like single digits or maybe right. at eleven percent, he's tied with Warren. Yeah. Well, remember yeah, to nowhere Andrew's, near Biden and Sanders. No, and remember nowhere though. Well, I know. Yeah. And to Andrew's point, remember Bloomberg's whole strategy is to vault ahead of you know Iowa and New Hampshire and go straight to Super Tuesday and a more national campaign, to your point, Andrew. And that, that, I think, does create the sense that on this stage, there are two people, Donald Trump and Michael Bloomberg. A strong quarter for Amazon, the company blowing past earnings and revenue expectations, also reporting better than expected results in its AWS cloud unit. The stock popping on those numbers, I think it needs to be at a $2,016 and change in order to be past a trillion dollars. Obviously, you can see this morning it's well past that. For more on the company's strategy, Hilding Anderson is head of retail strategy at Publis Sapient. And Scott Mushkin, who is R5 Capital founder and chief executive officer. Gentlemen, it's good to see both of you. Um, what's amazing about this is they are basically hitting on every cylinder. It looked like everything was performing this time around. Uh, Hilding, why don't we just start talking about the the retail part of this and what they reported for holiday sales. Yeah, I mean, obviously strong almost across the board there. I mean, you see a little bit of slowdown in AWS as expected with scale. But I think the, one of the really often overlooked things is how much of Amazon is actually a data-driven organization. And I think we're going to look back at the last you know, 10 years as Amazon really uh, highlighting and enabling data throughout their organization. What do I you think- mean? Well, so we believe that uh, organizations like Amazon are using data to look at a supply chain and do modeling in a way that most retailers just aren't doing today. And I think that's just the supply chain or also in terms of what they sort of recommend to you as a customer. If you bought this, we recommend this when they push things out to you. No, and they've used that for years. Right. And so what they've done now is actually use those same techniques. I mean, they built AWS to actually do that modeling. And so they're using it in every aspect from a pricing, determining when uh, you price an individual product to actually anticipate where you hold inventory throughout the organization to recommending third party sellers what even price uh, you should sell and how you should label a product. There are thousands of models that they've built across the organization. I think that's kind of the backstory of this high performance. The other piece I think that's very critical is the product uh, organization, the way they've developed small teams, very different than a traditional retailer that has these sort of strong bureaucracies throughout the organization. Hmm. So two of the kind of things I think are often overlooked in this very strong uh, Q4 uh, results. Scott, let's just talk about the street's reaction today. Is it deserved? Is this something oh, that the street just missed this all the way and it's, it's here and it's going to run further? You know, we've made Amazon our top pick. And not, not only do we think it's deserved, we raised our price target at 2400 huh. um, I think missed in the Amazon uh, report is just, this is like an ATM machine. They're generating so much cash. 
Uh, our forecast is $26 billion in free cash flow for 2020. Um, and that's after investing so much in CapEx. Um, our, our note title was, you know, next up world domination. Um, so I think the challenge when you look at Amazon is how high can the equity go? Um, we actually think they should spin off AWS. Why? Uh, you know, I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one, they are losing a little business, um, you know, given the connection with Amazon. Uh, I think the government scrutiny would go down. Because Amazon competes with everybody in every industry, basically, and they don't necessarily want to go there for their cloud servicing. But the biggest reason is retail can stand on its own. Um, We think their retail itself would generate about 5 to $6 billion in free cash flow by 2021. Gentlemen, I want to thank you both for your time. It's good to see you. And update now on a story I first told you about earlier this month. Japanese billionaire Yusaku Maizawa is backing out of a reality TV show to find a girlfriend to join him on the first SpaceX commercial space flight. The billionaire had been looking for a romantic female partner as part of the planned uh, show, Full Moon uh, Lovers. Um, But he says he's shutting down the competition for personal reasons. He, I guess he, his wife thought it might not be a great idea. <laughs> He's not married. Oh, okay. Married. All right. Never mind. Never mind. He apologized to the nearly 28,000 women who had applied to be his Well, that's the thing. Think about all these women who spent all this time trying to apply. <clears throat> and now not even one of them has a shot. Right. To go to space with him. Well, they can sign up for the Rocket Mortgage Squares game. That they can do. With the Super Bowl. That they can do. I would. I kind of wanted to watch. You know, they're going to make a reality show of the whole thing. I thought it would. Be- you said this that. actually makes me like. Were it they going more. to? They're going to make a documentary. Oh, I know, but this makes oh. me like it more. You do. Yeah, it's a little more authentic. Think, yeah, but what do you think happened? Uh, there's 28,000. How do you possibly choose between that? And you realize how stupid the whole thing is. It's like watching The Bachelor. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, folks. It's dramatic. It's good drama. It's mm. good TV. And I'm sure you find your true love, too. Um, some of them do, which is always so weird. They do. They get married, then they get divorced, then they get married again. You know again. way too much about this. I read Us Magazine like <laughs> everybody else. Don't, don't <laughs> pretend you don't. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, the CEO of Anheuser-Busch InBev is ready for some football. Will I see any advertising from your company at the Super Bowl? Oh, yeah. That would be a yes. That's a yes. And so are we here on Squawk. It's an all-day affair. I think you got to go beer. I, personally, I like to go to light beer rack so you don't feel all that loaded. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Rob Contino. I'm here with David Evans. David, um, tell us what you do for Squawk Box. I am the Squawk Box senior producer. I uh, am first in in the morning and uh, I write a lot. What Dave didn't mention that he gets the uh, the grueling assignment of going to Davos every year uh, for the past couple of years. It was warmer this year, uh, which was very nice. It's a was a nice change from the usual Arctic temperatures. You watch the championship football games in German, which must have been a, quite an experience uh, leading up to the Super Bowl. <laughs> the TV channels there are somewhat limited, so we were uh, staying in an apartment and. 
We found, after much searching, the channel that had the feed from the U.S. of the uh, Tennessee Titans-Kansas uh, City Chiefs game, and it was hosted by this guy with long, like shoulder-length blonde hair, uh, just speaking nothing but German except for the occasional, you know, first down, uh, which was entertaining. So it was definitely not Al Michaels. So that's uh, <clears throat> very interesting. So what's the, what's the drink of choice on Super Bowl Sunday? Uh, it's it's an all day affair. I think you got to go beer. Um, you you want to you want something that you can start uh, during the pregame and keep going and not uh, you know you don't want to be blotto by the end of it. Right, right. Um, and I I personally I like to go to light beer out because you like to drink a few so you don't feel all that you know bloated. I guess you would say or get really you know drunk for a Super Bowl because you want to see all the ads really. I guess. I don't know. What do you, you – will you, will you drink a White Claw? Uh, you know what? I have yet to get on this hard salsa craze, but I know it's a big deal for a lot of these uh, giant uh, beverage corporations out there. You know, I'm kind of into it. It's not bad. Uh, the, it's a nice light. It's a little fruity, It's uh, but it doesn't fill you up. It's not a bad way to uh, to drink a couple during a game. I know in Davos, Becky and Joe had a chance to talk to Carlos Brito, CEO of AB InBev, about the hard seltzer game. We can start with what everyone's talking about, and that is I've tried it. Have you tried it? Hard seltzer. Hard seltzer. It's big, huge growth. I mean, the the kind of growth that I don't think anyone could have. Yeah, Joe, it's one of those things that have been in the market now for five years, and this past summer, 2019, really took off. Why? It's something that go, it's flavored. Yeah. It's go well into health and wellness in the sense of, uh, you know, less carbs, less calories. What was the number, though? The number, I saw a number, 250% growth. Is that possible? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that, that's totally possible. I mean, it's uh, with beer, now this year, 2019, beer plus seltzer went back to growth after some years of decline in the U.S., slight decline. So it is something that's profitable. It's here to stay. We, we're very excited. We have three propositions. We have Bon & Viv, which is our premium. We have uh, Bud Light Seltzer, which will launch officially now at Super Bowl. And we have our Native Light Seltzer so this as is, well. This is, is real. Uh, sorry. Is this is re- real. And I can't or? drink beer anymore. I can't. Not? It's not just me. but Because if I drink five beers, it just doesn't work I, I don't want to sit it next to It doesn't them. work yeah. Drink four. Drink four. <laughs> no, that second six, they go down so smooth, though. Most of, no, I'm kidding. But beer makes me full, makes me feel full. And this stuff, you know, what we're really, you know, it, it's not just a uh, alcohol delivery system, but that's part of it. I like, yeah, I mean, you do, and, and seltzer, it feels lighter. it's a pure, clean way to it maybe, uh, 6%, it's not it like. It has bubbles, though. And, and, and I don't have to order, you know, Andrew loves those wine spritzers, and I don't, at least I don't have to order, no, he doesn't really, but I don't have to order one of those, right? I can get a. Andrew's a beer guy, I know. Oh, yeah, big shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is going to, I mean, this is something that, that makes a big difference. That's for, great. It's yeah. a great opportunity. Oh, what about everything growing. else? It's growing. It's on trend, and we can play it. It's about national brands. And it's also something that can travel, you know. So we're beginning to explore in some other countries because, I mean, the same trends you see consumer-wise in the U.S. are the same trends you see elsewhere in the world. I mean, given as diversified as you are in, in beer and all around globally, is it that big a deal to actually start an interview about hard seltzer? Is it, will it be that important? Because it, it, it's, it's not there yet in terms of, of total revenue, but it is a big, it's a big thing for the future. No, no, it's a big thing because, again, it's something that's happening. It's on trend. It's profitable. It's growing. 
And that's something that the beer category has lacked for some years, which is innovation. And now the beer, the category is innovating very fast. And that's why you're seeing other beverages that could replace hard beer to gauge, starting uh, to decline. When we ask you overall about the consumer, if beer has a problem, you're not getting a clear view of how the consumer actually is because beer, it, it, it seems no, like again, it's got its own problem. Yeah, so sometimes beer is a category. We're a global company, yeah. uh, Joe. So we look at the global you know, beer business. For the last 10 years, beer has been one of the few food and beverage categories that has grown rate and volumes on a Kager okay. basis for the last 10 years. So how many categories can say that? So it's a very blessed category to be in. Also because in terms of health and wellness, which is something very on trend, we can offer something all the way from 5% all the way to zero. I know, but you're talking health and wellness and beer in the same, in the same breath. And that, that, that sounds very odd. I, I, I no, thought millennials were turning away from some of this stuff, which is maybe why they want hard seltzer in other areas. Well, the hard seltzer is also 5%. Yeah. I mean, the, the trick, look at Michelob Ultra in the U.S., the, the, the fastest growing brand in the U.S., what it offers at a lower ABV, lower alcohol, 4%, it offers a way for consumers to go out and work out mm-hmm. and not have to compromise, you know? And it's growing. It's the fastest growing brand in the U.S. And now with Pure Gold, it's the first USDA organic beer in the U.S. I hear more and more people talking about dry January, where they're not going to drink alcohol in January. Do, do you see that in your sales? And do you have something for those people who don't want to well, drink alcohol? Of course you do, because yeah. that's the advantage of beer. We can yeah. go from 5% to 2 zero. to 3 all the way to 0 yeah. And zero zero beer here in Europe, where we are, is a segment of beer that grow the, the fastest. So dry January, we can also have products for consumers. You know? Does that show up in your numbers? Do you no. see dry January, or is no. that just like a total no. Twitter phenomenon? No, but it's an interesting segment because, again, it's very profitable. And if uh, some consumers are willing to go for it, we are here to offer consumers in different occasions something so they can stay with us in our portfolio. That's what we're in business for. All right. Uh, is do you, do you think that Coke or some of the other beverage makers, do they have the same problem, do you think, in, in, in terms of innovation, in terms of satisfying health and wellness, in terms of, I, I know that, you know, this is not beer, it's not, it's not InBev. Well, we're, problem, also but, bot- we're also Coke bottlers, Pepsi bottlers. The tastes are changing so quickly with, with millennials. I, yeah, I, but all I, these companies are being very close to the consumer and going where consumers are. If you want to grow, you have to grow where consumers are. And consumers always drink something. So you can go from... Uh, sugar soft drinks to non-sugar soft drinks to to water to juices to coconut water to so many things i mean there's a breadth of things out there and i think all companies are trying to go where consumers are going because if you do that you grow what about cbd that's one of those additional growth areas what are you seeing with yeah the we're products? testing some of that in canada that? Right. it's still very early on canada is totally legal we only do it in canada uh, very early stage uh, not mixed with alcohol no thc just cbd only in Canada where it's legal. So we have a joint venture there with testing to see, um, you know, to have an opinion about it. What do you think so far? So far it's too early to tell. Yeah. It just got legalized there two months ago. Okay. Do you have the whole supply chain thing exactly where you want it with bottlers and everything else? What, what, what's, what do you spend most of your time thinking about? The logistics of, of the business? or Consumers. Or, or That's what we spend most of our time. All innovation and satisfying consumers. Consumers and customers, yeah. And our people. I mean, you know, we need to, to look at consumers customers, our retailers, is the way to get to consumers, and our people is the magic behind all this. If you have great people and they feel a sense of ownership to the company, they will go where consumers are going, they will treat our retailers the best way possible because they win, we win, and that's the magic of it. Will I see any advertising from your company at the Super Bowl? Oh, yeah. You're going to see some Budweiser's, some Bud Lights, some Seltzer's, some Michelob Ultra, Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. That would be a yes. That's a yes. A big time yes. It's going to be a really good Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Very competitive. That's great. 
So Looking forward team. to it. I have both those teams, as I've mentioned to you. Several uh, times. Already, even though they yes. were big favorites. Hard to cover seven and a half points. It's hard, but, uh, but they did. Anyway, yeah. Carlos, I think, I think all this gambling is helping you, too. I do. I, I, you know, all the, all the draft kings. I, I watch all the games. I, I drink while I'm watching. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not kidding. I mean, no, I see a lot of synergy. Sports is a big occasion big. for beer. Big. It's always been, will continue to be. If there's one what? thing. If there was one thing that people still watch live, yeah, is sports, especially sports. if you're betting on it. Anyway. Live sports. And you gotta have a beer if you're doing that. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, Carlos, thank you. We will Thanks see you so again much soon. For having me. Next on Squawk Pod, billion-dollar brands, the startups shaking up legacy consumer companies. These companies have forced the bigger players like Gillette to lower prices. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Have you ever seen this commercial for a company called Dollar Shave Club? Yeah, a dollar. Are the blades any good? No, our blades are f***ing great. This ad costs about $4,000 and a single day to make, but it fired a warning shot across the consumer products industry, direct to consumer brands like Dollar Shave Club, Warby Parker, Allbird Shoes. They all found a new path to profitability through technology. Scrappy startups are using tech to make a different or better version of consumer products at lower cost. And those products can be sold and marketed online without the expense of a brick-and-mortar store. The direct-to-consumer recipe for success also leaves out the middlemen of a corporate giant like Procter & Gamble or Johnson & Johnson until those legacy companies go shopping themselves to buy the upstarts. Dollar Shave Club was acquired by Unilever in 2016 for a billion dollars cash. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin with more on the Billion Dollar Brand Club. Veteran business journalist Larry Ingrassi is here. He's got a new book out about how some well-known household brands have been disrupted by the direct-to-consumer revolution. It is called Billion Dollar Brand Club. How Dollar Shave Club, Warby Parker, and other disruptors are remaking what we buy. And Larry joins us now. He's held senior editing positions. He's my editor for so many years and, and a mentor and rabbi at the New York Times. He was a mentor rabbi to Becky over the here. Journal. So it's your Walter fault. At the Journal. <laughs> both of yeah, us. my fault. And the L.A. Times. So we're thrilled to have him here this morning. Great to see you uh, guys. Congratulations you, on the book. Thank you. Explain this to us. So there are all of these new brands that have effectively disrupted what we thought were these older, these, these older businesses, the Procter & Gamble's and everybody else. But one of the questions I have now is we're watching Casper and some of these other guys try to go public right. and do things. Right. Is the valuation seem to be compressing? And I'm trying to figure out this. 
have they really succeeded or did they really succeed at somehow getting venture capitalists to give them money to subsidize their business? Great question as usual, Andrew. I think it's a little bit of both. It depends on the particular situation. So Casper is in a category that's been really disrupted. Mattresses, five years ago, $50 million of $16 billion was uh, direct-to-consumer. Right. It's $2 billion now. It got so crowded that you, know, you have winners and losers. Right. Purple Innovation, which is another player in that market, actually that's makes money. That, I want that mattress, mattress That makes money. You know, okay. Casper reported that it loses money. So it depends on the particular situation of companies. Right. Uh, I think that Casper took a lot of venture capital money. They probably overspent on marketing. They're going to need to write that. But a lot of the companies are profitable. And I mean, Casper, I think, Third can create love. the entire, the entire um, genre for everybody else to right. kind of go after. Well, the they, they were on. one. You know, they kind of like to say that. Tough to Needle is actually before them. Hmm. Right. But I remember Casper. Yes. I've never bought a mattress from Casper, but I have bought and, a mattress And that's from because Amazon they were well. the biggest marketer. Yeah. Right. And they spent too much on marketing. Right. Is the ultimate result of all this, though, that they all seem to be getting acquired by the big guys? Or do they remain independent? I mean, that's, to me, the fundamental question about all this. I still think that one day Luxottica is going to buy Warby, Warby Parker, Parker and just say, enough already. And I think that would be bad cons- for consumers right. because one of the great things about this revolution is that there's much more choice. And these companies have forced the bigger players, like Gillette, to lower prices, Gillette lowered prices for the first time in forever, right? right? By 10 to 15%. Gillette had a 70% market share for decades before Dollar Shave Club and Harry's came along, and now it's in the low 50%. You know, what happens if they buy them up? You know, kind of, we're gonna have less competition. And that's, to me, one of the great things about this revolution, where it was easier to introduce product, they took advantage of technology, you didn't have to have retail shelf space, you could go directly to the consumer. And the people behind this, you know, these young entrepreneurs in their 20s and 30s, you know, kind of like you guys. Oh, that was when I, you worked for me, right? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, figured this out. And, and, you know, they saw a problem, whether it was a higher price or a poor experience, and they solved it. And that's the key to their success. I love the Dollar Shave Club ad that we just showed. Yeah. Uh, very clever advertising. Good way you, to get uh, You know, you're talking about that macaroni and cheese. I mean, that's the one that did. What is it? A- Annie's or something? Oh, Annie. Uh, that's the one. The organic that. macaroni. You're dating yourself there, Joe. Really? Is that pretty old? Is that pretty old? <laughs> No, but we I think that's about 40 years old. Maybe. Annie's? I thought it, they, they disrupted Kraft macaroni and cheese. Nobody buys Kraft anymore. Yeah. Except yeah. for Brad Pitt in, uh, in uh, Once Upon a Time. My other question is going to be about scale, though. Do you think that one day there will be a merger of all of these D2C, uh, uh, that, that's consumer businesses so they can have the scale to play against these big guys? Because so far, a lot of it gets either subsidized by venture capitalists or there's, they're waiting. You know, Bonobos with the, is waiting to get bought by Walmart. Yeah, I think that that is one possibility uh, for some of these companies that they'll kind of get together and they have their shared resources and, right. you know, kind of they can be more profitable. But again, some of them are profitable. Third Love started by, you know, a couple, Heidi Zak right. and, and her husband. And Dave Spector, you know, have done very well taking on Victoria's Secret and building a business. The stories of the people, which I kind of focus on a lot in the book, right. the stories of the people behind these companies is really fun. We have a Casper. The only thing cool about Casper, it comes in like a little lunchbox. That, that was one of the great, brilliant things about right. it. They made it easy and they said, oh, you don't like it? You can return it. Is there a more miserable What's experience go- than going into a mattress store? Did you have a water bed? I bet you got a water bed. Didn't you when you were no. younger? Huh? I'll tell you all about the purple bed uh, during the commercial well, What does it do? Uh, the book is, is it? fabulous. Thank you. Congratulations. Congratulations on coming in. Thanks, guys. Uh, The Billion Dollar Brand Club is the name of the book. Go out and get it. Uh, We appreciate uh, you and seeing you. Great to see you.
That's the show for today. Thanks for listening. We're just like you. Or what is it? We're just, they're just like us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. You can tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the best of our TV show right in your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod. Available for free wherever you get your podcast. We'll meet you back here on Monday with an all-new Squawk Pod. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 